Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Samantha, for leading. Thank you, Miss Barbara, for switching sides and instruments. Y'all are so talented, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm glad I don't think anybody lost their breakfast on the roller coaster. Um, I almost did. I had to look away for a second. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, but I will say this. Um, uh, I'm going to have to watch a um, certain little boy if he ever invites my daughter to go on a roller coaster because little Jack sure was sitting mighty close to little Letty Ann on that roller coaster just now. So, <laughs> so uh, Matthew, we might have to have some words. Um, <laughs> uh, and I know all the excuses. Well, she was scared. I was here for her, all that kind of stuff. Not true, not true. She can take care of herself. <laughs> oh, goodness. Hey, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I, I encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3. Oh, before we, uh, before we jump in, um, I forgot, we, we got some, some visitors with us today that I needed to, needed to welcome. Uh, I don't know if you all have met them, Tom and Marie South. They're, they're, they're guests, the first time we've seen them today as grandparents, as grand, yeah, yeah, grandparents, and so we want to welcome their grand, them as, as new grand, grand, grandparents, so if they got a big old smile on their face, you know why, okay, uh, they, are, they are grandparents, and so we're excited for them. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18 is where we're going to be this morning. What do you do with law, all right, so here's a question, what do you do with law? Well, you either obey it or you disobey it. You either obey it or you disobey it. Well, then what do you do with a promise? What do you do with a promise? You either believe it or you reject it. You either believe it or you reject it. Now, if you're trying to gain something, if you're trying to gain something um, through the, the, um, the law or the promise, then whether it's based on law or based on promise drastically changes how you go about getting whatever it is you're trying to attain. If it's based on law, then you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to obey the law in order to get whatever it is you're trying to get. But if it's based on promise, then in order to get whatever it is you're going to try to get, you just got to believe. You got to trust in the promise. In our passage today, that it that we're trying to gain is salvation or justification before God. Being able one day to stand before God and him look at us and treat us as if we had never sinned. Even though we know that we are full of sin, but to be justified before God, to be in a right relationship with him. And that's what we want. We want to we want to have salvation. Now, we're going to see in this passage a comparison made between promise and the law in regards to acquiring or gaining salvation. This, this comparison between promise and law. And as so we read in just a moment, when you hear the word law in the passage, I want you to think gaining by doing. Gaining salvation by doing or by obeying. And when you hear the word promise in this passage, I want you to think gaining salvation by believing or through faith. So when we see the word law, we want to think doing. I got to do something to earn it. When you see the word promise, I want you to think belief, faith, 
I don't have to earn it. I just have to trust that God will provide it. Now, Paul is going to argue in this passage, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18, that salvation is found in the promise of God, not in the law. And the question then is why? Why? Why should we look to the promise of God instead of looking to the law of God for salvation? For salvation. Now remember, remember our context that Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians in light of false teachers who have come in. And he is arguing against the false teachers. False teachers are saying, belief is not enough. You have to add to that belief obedience to the Old Testament law. In other words, basically you've got to become a Jew if you want to really be saved. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the truth at all. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 16, Paul kind of summarizes his main point here in the letter. And he says that we are saved or we are justified through faith in Jesus and not through works of the law. And then he argues that point in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, he argues from experience. Remember, he told the Galatians, how were you saved? You weren't saved by works of the law. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law. It was by faith in Jesus Christ. He argues from their experience. Then in verses 6 through verse 14, he argues from Scripture in particular. He goes through and he quotes several different verses in the Old Testament to show that even the law shows that salvation does not come from the law. It only comes through faith. Now, in verses 15 through 18, he's going to argue from Scripture in general. It's kind of like a big picture view of salvation in the Old Testament. Whereas in verses 10, 11, 12, 13, he was quoting specific little verses in the law. Now he's going to kind of back up and say, look at God's plan of salvation. Look at the big picture And we can clearly see from the big picture of salvation that salvation is through faith. Remember the word promise, not through doing the word law. Okay, so that's where he is going. The word promise was introduced at the end of verse 14. You see that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And the concept of a promise being associated with gospel news of justification through faith was introduced back in verse 8. Let me read that. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That is a promise. It is a promise of salvation. It is a promise to be received through faith. It is a promise that Abraham received through faith. And so now Paul is going to unpack for us this promise versus the law. The promise versus the law. So let's read and study verses 15 through 18, just these four verses. And as we do, we're going to see that true salvation is found in the promise of God, fulfilled in Christ, not in the law. Verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God 
so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Heavenly Father, would you open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of your word this morning. Father, speak to us through your word. Change and mold our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Instead of trusting in the law, instead of trusting in the law, you should trust in the promise of God. Because, number one, the promise, not the law, came first. The promise, not the law, came first. If you're taking notes, you want to write, I should trust the promise, not the law. Because, number one, the promise, not the law, came first. The promise, not the law, came first. Paul gives a human example of why the law cannot be a basis for our salvation. And he refers to a man-made covenant. Now, it's hard to tell exactly what kind of covenant Paul is referring to here. It was a covenant, whatever kind of covenant he was referring to would have been one that his readers a couple thousand years ago would have easily understood. We're a couple thousand years removed. It's a little bit difficult to tell exactly what kind of covenant he's talking about. This human, this agreement between people. But what is clear in this passage is that this covenant cannot be altered by something that comes at a later date. Perhaps it's a testament or maybe a a, a will, a dying, a final will of someone. But what's clear is it cannot be altered by something that comes later. Once the covenant, once this will, once this testament is made, it's done. It's set in stone. And something that comes later does not annul it, does not add to it. Now, in verse 16a, in verse 16a, we see that the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. The promises were made to Abraham. Remember, we're comparing promise and law. And while we don't see another biblical character's name here, we have to be thinking about him. And that character is Moses. The promise was made to Abraham, but who was the law given through? Moses. Moses. And Moses came, according to verse 17, 430 years after Abraham, which means the promise came 430 years before the law was given. And so Paul says, just like with a man-made covenant or will or testament, whatever type of human agreement he is referring to, just as that cannot be changed or broken or added to at a later date, so it is with God's covenant promise. Now, remember back in verse 8, the promise is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. That is a declaration of salvation through Jesus. Verse 8 says that that is a gospel promise. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. So this promise, this promise that through a later offspring, and we'll talk about the offspring in just a minute, that through this later offspring, salvation would come to the world, to the world, that promise came before the law. Now, what the, the Judaizers or the, the false teachers were saying is that, well, maybe the promise that's based on God's grace through faith came first, but then when the law came, that changed the covenant promise. So that now you got to believe the covenant promise and you got to be obedient to all the law if you want to truly be saved. What Paul is saying in opposition to the false teachers, is that the law which came later doesn't change the promise. 
The promise was you can be saved through faith, not through trying to earn God's love. In fact, that's the only way to be saved is by God's grace through faith. And God giving the law at a later date didn't change that one bit. The promise still stands unchanged as it did before the law was given. Didn't change anything. Just as Abraham received that promise through faith, so should we. The law didn't change the promise, thus the law didn't change the means by which we can be justified, by which we receive this promise. Now I want to go to Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. Paul is addressing the very same issue to the church in Rome. And he says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. It's exactly what he's saying there in verse 17. He said in Galatians 3 verse 17, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Here's what Paul is saying. God's plan of salvation began through a covenant of promise. If God switched to a plan of salvation based upon the law, then the initial plan would be rendered void. But God's plans are never changed. God's plans are never rendered void. So the coming of the law did not change at all the way of salvation through faith. The justification through faith, that covenant of promise. And this is the big picture that Paul is, is, is getting at. Rather than quoting those specific, specific Old Testament verses like he did in the previous passage, saying, zoom out, just look at the plan of salvation from the beginning. The law did not replace the promise. The law did not modify the promise. Salvation through promise, which is salvation through faith, was and still is in effect. Even though God did give the law. And maybe you're saying, well, why in the world did God give the law? Well, Paul's going to get that in the next passage. We're not going to look at today. Look at verse 19, just so you know that we're getting there. How does Paul start verse 19? Why then the law? All right. So he he knows that that should be a question in our mind. Well, if the law doesn't add to or change that initial promise, why do you have to give it anyway? We'll get there. Just not today. OK, for for our purposes today, realize that the law, which came afterwards, served a temporary purpose and is no longer in effect as far as attaining salvation is concerned. The law is still in effect for some other parts of our salvation, living out our salvation, knowing how to live a holy life. But as far as you or me gaining salvation, being saved, it is not through the law, it's through the promise. So here's what Paul is saying. Order matters. That's what he's saying. Order matters. The promise, which is justification through faith, came before the law. Therefore, you should trust the promise not the law to save you. Second reason why you should trust the promise and not the law for salvation is this. The promise, not the law, is the way to Jesus. The promise, not the law, is the way to Jesus. 
This is where we get this kind of a parenthesis within the passage in verse 16. I kind of skipped over it just a second ago. Paul says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And then he goes on. He says, it does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, perhaps your translation uses the word seed there instead of offspring. Same, same different, same, same word, just two different ways of translating it. So Paul, in a sense, seems to be splitting hairs a little bit with our grammar. Right. What happens when you add an S to the end of a word makes it plural. Right. So he is comparing the singular word offspring to the plural word offsprings. And he says now in the Old Testament, the promise was given to Abraham and to his offspring. Try to emphasize uh, enunciate my words clearly spring. No, no S on the end. No plural. What's the point here? Certainly, certainly Abraham had lots of offspring, right? I mean, he's going to be the father of a great nation. And all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth to be blessed through him. So Paul's not denying that that word seed or offspring is referring to lots of people. It is. It is. Referring to his son Isaac, that son Jacob, next son, all the way down, all those who belong to Abraham. But in a salvation sense... Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. That all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham is pointing forward to the coming Messiah. Abraham wasn't going to die for people's sins. There was going to be a Messiah who was coming. And his name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And so the promise, (coughs) excuse me, initially given to Abraham finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It is pointing forward to Christ. The offspring is Christ. It's kind of like Paul says this. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now, just in case you're still thinking that Abraham's offspring are his physical descendants or those who adhere to the Jewish law, I want you to realize that his ultimate offspring, who this promise, this promises were pointing to, is Christ. And so if you want to be in on the promise, then you need to be in with Jesus. And the way you are in with Jesus is through faith, just like Abraham who was called the man of faith. The offspring is Christ, which reminds us of our need for Christ. You remember? You remember our need for Jesus? Our desperate need for Jesus? It's what Paul had just talked about in verses 10 through 14. He's already shown in verse 13 and specifically that the only way we can be set free from the curse of the law is through the redemption purchased by Christ Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. And here he says that trusting in the promise is to trust in Jesus, since it's ultimately in Jesus that the blessing of justification before God comes to all the nations. So here's what this means for you and me today. If you are hoping... If you are hoping in the law to save you, that is you trying to do enough good things in order for God to save you. If you are hoping in the law, then you are not hoping in Christ, the Redeemer, who is our only hope of salvation. Let me put it a little more simple. 
you're hoping in the law and your good works, you're lost. And you're on your way to an eternity separated from God. You're not justified because justification only comes through the promise. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Therefore, it only comes through faith in Jesus. So order matters. The promise came first. And Jesus matters. The Christ matters. The promise of God's blessing is ultimately made to Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, who did what was necessary in order for you and me to be included in the promised blessing. And therefore, you should trust the promise, not the law to save you. Order matters. Jesus matters. Let me give you one more reason. Paul gives us one more reason in verse 18, why you should trust the promise and not the law. The promise, not the law, number three, depends on grace. The promise, not the law, depends upon grace. Now, Paul introduces a a new word that he hasn't used so far in the book of Galatians. It's the word inheritance. And we're going to see this theme of inheritance and being an heir of God through Christ uh, laid out for us later on in chapter 3 and into chapter 4. But here he introduces this word in verse 18 and says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave to Abraham by a promise. For if the inheritance comes by the law. What is this inheritance? Well, it's what we've been talking about. It's salvation. It's being justified before God. It's being treated as a son of God. It's being adopted into God's family. It's dwelling in a right relationship with him for all of eternity. That's the inheritance. That's what we get through the promise. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 18, that the promise is opposed to the law, or we could say the other way, the law is opposed to the promise. For if the inheritance comes by the law, then it no longer comes by promise. The law is not in addition to the promise. In one sense, in a way of salvation, it stands in opposition to the promise. This isn't a both and, it's an either or. We're not saved through the promise and through the law. So many people still believe this today. It's what the Galatians were facing in the false teachers. They were saying it's through the promise and through the law. You got to believe and you got to do. And Paul's saying no, because these are opposed to one another. Either you're going to be saved by the law, which we've already seen can't happen because none of us are perfect. Or you're saved through the promise by faith. In Jesus Christ, the law is opposed to promise. Why? Because the law has to do with works and the promise has to do with grace. And salvation by grace is the opposite of salvation by works. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this. Paul writes, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Law is associated with works, while promise is associated with grace, and these are opposed to one another. The law says do. Grace says done. The law says you got to obey, you got to do it. The, The grace, the grace of God says Jesus has already done it for you. The law says earn. Grace says just receive. The law says Here are the rules to obey. Grace says, here is the promise to believe. 
They stand opposed to one another. And Paul even uses a beautiful word here just to make sure we understand that the promise depends or is rooted in grace. Look at the end of verse 18. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. That word translated gave means to freely give or to freely show favor or to show gracious favor. It is, it is rooted in the word grace. It's rooted in the word grace. We find this word in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and there it's translated this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, here you go, graciously give us all things. The same word, graciously give. So go back to verse 18. But God graciously gave it to Abraham by a promise. What did he graciously give to Abraham? The inheritance, salvation. It was by grace and grace alone. And the only way that we receive something that is by grace is through faith. If we try to get it by earning it, then it's no longer grace. It's a wage. It's something that we now deserve. It's a payment. But that's not how salvation is. It's based on promise, which is based on grace. And the only way we receive grace is through faith. Because grace is getting something that we don't deserve. One more verse in Romans. Back to chapter 4. We read verses 13 and 14 in Romans chapter 4. I want to read verse 16. Paul writes, That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Let me go back to the question that I started with. What do you do with law? Well, you you try to do it. You try to obey it. What do you do with a promise? Well, you believe it. What do you do with an inheritance that is based on the law? You try to earn it. But what do you do with an inheritance that is based on promise? You simply receive it. That is faith. It's kind of like me saying this. You've got to wash my car every week till I die. Any volunteers, by the way? Volunteers? I'd love that. Um, all right. No takers. You must, if I said you must, here's the law, you must wash my car every week till I die. If you do, I will leave you an inheritance of $1 million. All right, that might change it, right? I might change it a little bit. Um, will you do it? Will you do it? Or what if I said, I will give you an inheritance of $1 million? Do you believe me? You see, the first one is a call to work and earn. The second one is a call to believe and receive. One depends on your ability to obey my command. The second one depends on my ability to graciously give. Now, in one sense, both a works-based salvation and a grace-based salvation both involve trust. The difference is that only one involves trust in someone that can actually deliver, that can actually provide salvation. Think about it this way. When you trust in the law, you are trusting in your ability to keep the law, 
which means you're trusting in you to save you. And you who are dead in sin under the curse of the law, me who is dead in sin under the curse of the law, we are unable to save ourselves. So if you're hoping in the law, if you're trusting in the law, you're really trusting in yourself to do something that you can never do, that you can never deliver. But when you trust in the promise of God, here's the beauty of the gospel. When you trust in the promise of God, you are trusting in God's ability to keep his promise. You are trusting in the all-powerful and gracious God who never fails and who has provided all that is necessary for your salvation through the sacrifice of his son. You're trusting in him. Now, let me ask you this. Whose hands do you want to entrust your eternity to? Your sinful hands, my sinful hands, or the nail-pierced hands of Jesus? The law can't save us because I can't save myself and you can't save yourself. But Jesus can. And he's done all that is necessary. Law salvation depends on you being perfect. Promise salvation depends on God showing grace. You can't be perfect and neither can I. Thus, we are in desperate need of God's grace. So the order matters. Jesus matters. And grace matters. The promise is based on grace while the law is based on works. Therefore, if you, a sinner, want salvation, then you must trust the promise, not the law, to save you. Let me summarize it in this way. Paul is telling the Galatian Christians that they don't need to add works of the law to their faith, but they should rest fully in the promise of God because the promise agrees with the timing of God's plan of salvation. The promise came first. That was point number one. And the promise agrees with the way God gives salvation by grace. That's point number three. And what about point number two? Well, Jesus is the one in whom the promised blessing would come to the nations and it would come through his gracious death on the cross. Jesus, listen, Jesus is the culmination of the promise. Jesus is the epitome of God's grace. So do you want the promise of salvation? Do you want God to show you grace? If so, don't try to earn it. Simply receive the blessing of salvation, the promise, by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only way of salvation. Don't look to the law. Don't look to your ability. Look to God's gracious promise to save all who call upon the name of the Lord That's the beauty of the gospel. It is done. We just have to believe it and trust it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Father, that reminds us, us, we who are so tempted to turn to the law. Father, in our sinful nature, we want to be good enough Father, we don't want to have to admit that I can't do it, that we can't do it. Father, that goes against our sinful nature, against our pride. Father, we don't want to admit our failure. And Father, 
Even as believers, we're prone to begin to trust in our good works instead of daily falling upon the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in those moments of temptation, help us to remember the promise. The promise came before the law. The promise points us to Jesus, the only one who has paid the price. And the, and, the, and the promise depends upon grace. And grace is the way that you save sinful people. So Father, help us to cast ourselves upon your beautiful promise. Simply receiving it in faith. Trusting that you will rescue us. Because you love us. Not because we are lovable. Because you've chosen to give grace to us. Not because we deserve your love. So Father, may our lives be an offering of praise and worship to the one who has promised salvation and who makes good on that promise, even at the cost of your son. Father, may we be a people, people of promise, not a people of law, people of grace, not a people of, of earning, of works. Help us to be a people centered on Jesus, not centered on ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.